I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and in this episode, we're reviewing Artemis Fowl and Greed, plus lots of movie news. Let's get into it. So let's start with Artemis Fowl, which is a Disney movie that was sent straight to Disney+. Plus. It was supposed to be in the cinemas, obviously. And it's based on the book series by Owen Colfer about 12-year-old genius Artemis Fowl, who is the descendant of a long line of criminal masterminds. And Artemis suddenly finds himself in a battle of wits against an advanced race of fairies to save his kidnapped father. So it's billed as a fantastical spellbinding adventure, but there's been a lot of talk about this movie being terrible. And tell me, Tim, is it as bad as everyone says? Okay, I'm really glad that you opened the podcast today because I don't think I would have got to the end of telling the story and like, you know, the synopses or whatever, because I just would have had a a brain aneurysm trying to (laughs) get it out. Because I tell you what, I am part of that noise in how bad this movie is. Like, Lee, Mm. I don't know. I can't wait to unpack this film with you. I've been looking forward to it a lot for all the wrong reasons, I guess. Mm. But I just, I actually, I'm going to say this. It is one of the worst films I have seen in probably a decade. Wow. That's a big call. It was just infuriatingly, unapologetically terrible. To the point where, and I'm also going to say this, I reckon, (laughs) I'll try and make sense of this, I reckon it should be a film that is studied at university purely through the lens of how not to make a movie and what a bad movie in every way, shape or form looks like. This is what a bad movie looks like. Here it is, Silver Platter. It's called Artemis Fowl. Let's, Let's dig deep into this film and try and understand, if we can, 
how they ended up delivering such a steaming pile of shit. Well, that's an interesting question because it's got a lot of pedigree behind it. It's directed by Kenneth Branagh, who, yeah. you know, great filmmaker. It stars Ferdia Shaw, who was a newcomer as Artemis, Colin Farrell as his father, and Josh Gad as the narrator random giant dwarf. Dwarf man, yeah. And Judy Dench. That upset me the most, that Judy Dench was in this. <laughs> I think she's got a really good relationship with Kenneth Branagh. Mm -hmm. It's kind of one of those projects where he's like, hey, Dame, come with me. I've got a bit of fun. It'd be good for your grandkids, great grandkids. And I think she's kind of head in shame. (laughs) Why why did I agree to this? Why did they all sound like they had some kind of throat disease? That was the most irritating (laughs) thing to listen to. The dwarf, Judy Dench, the bad person fairy they all sounded like they were struggling to talk and i understand that was a choice that was probably made but Mm. it became very irritating i think the likes of some characters like the fairies and judy dench i think they were altered in post but josh gad had this super gravelly irritating deep voice Mm. that was kind of like he looked like hagrid's half brother or something like it was just yeah and it was almost plagiarism in a way, but he obviously didn't have the charm and the endearing qualities that that Hagrid had. And obviously Hagrid is a beautifully written character anyway, Mm. but we're not here to talk about Harry Potter. It has been tipped as a high-tech Harry Potter. Yeah, but look, okay, there's a few like headlines here and I kind of want to get your take on this. So it at the same time somehow looked expensive and cheap at the same time, Mm. particularly that opening shot of the house just kind of looked like it was like the intro of a of a mid-90s video game. It looked so awful. Mm. But then you'd have other shots that looked really crisp and clean and expensive. It was just this kind of mix-mash of mm. whatever they could pull together in some way, shape or form. A lot of the anger that's come through is because people are such huge fans of the book series by Owen Colfer. And the character of Artemis himself is meant to be a criminal mastermind who is – Maybe not very likable, but still quite charming and charismatic for a kid. Yeah. In this movie, there was none of that. He was just purely unlikable. Yeah. I didn't understand how we were supposed to be connecting to this dead-eyed, dead-voiced 12-year-old. Yeah, I I don't know if he was a particularly inexperienced actor. I think this was his first film, I believe. So there were flavours of that, which was very clear. But I think there were a lot of things that let this film down, but the incoherence of storytelling was so rampant right from the beginning. The clunky, unnecessary exposition with Mm. Josh Gad, you know, talking about these characters in the story and I'm going to tell you a story and all these really hammy ways of of going about that. But despite that, nothing was explained very well. Nothing. I felt stupid watching this movie, which is never a good feeling being an audience member and not being able to understand what they're trying to tell you or what they're talking about. Mm. But I had to surrender to the fact that I'm not stupid. It was just so poorly explained and nothing was making sense. It was like there were whole scenes missing. It almost, it, it makes me think like, how was this script delivered and signed off? Because surely at that stage, 
if you're reading that script, how could you say, yep, I know the story Mm. that they're telling and this is how we're going to tell it. There was no story there. It just didn't make sense ever. Like, was it an editing issue? Did they hack it to pieces for whatever reason? Was a lot of it just so so bad that they had no choice but to, you know, where did all these shots go? Where where was this storytelling? Like, it Mm. just didn't exist. It was just mind-boggling absolutely mind-boggling and the movie well do you think that comes down to the fact that the movie was in development hell for years upon years it started actually development in 2006 and then the principal photography on the film finished in 2018 but then disney had to cut ties with the weinstein company for obvious reasons and then 20th century fox merged with disney so it kept getting pushed back but during that time there were reshoots and fiddling done do you think that's where the problem has come from Yeah, I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly where the problem may have lied. And I think it was just riddled all the way through. So I think you're right in that when you've got a project that's sitting dormant, but obviously still has inherent issues Mm. based off off the production principal photography period, and then probably too many cooks in the kitchen trying to make sense of this movie. Mm. There was obviously, I don't think this movie was ever going to be good. Like it just couldn't, even if you completely stripped it back and re-edited it together, I think you'll still find the same sort of story plot holes and Mm. an inability to like comprehend exactly what's going on. And, you know, there's been some interviews where Kenneth Branagh has talked about the sorts of changes that he wanted to make in how, Artemis was portrayed and grounding him mm. in some sort of a more of a relatable reality at school, but they were just so poorly realized. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like he was even more alienating to you as an audience member because he was so, every character was so one dimensional. Well, that's what I was going to say that Kenneth Branagh has said outright that he made a lot of uh, creative changes to this film from the book. Mm. And you have to wonder whether he may be should have stuck to the book. I haven't read the series, but the book is meant to be about this, uh, the burgeoning of this criminal mastermind child and his war with the fairies, the race of fairies. And there's a line at the end of the film where he, he takes off in a helicopter and he says, I'm Artemis Fowl and I'm a criminal mastermind. And I just went, what about any of that that we just watched makes you a criminal mastermind? <laughs> He exactly. did nothing. And he's meant to come from a long line of criminal masterminds. And that wasn't really relayed either. Everything about like all the interesting bits of the story and the characters were just completely brushed over yep. or completely out of context. Mm-hmm. You're so right. That last line is like, how? How was he a mastermind in that? Even just how he's learning about his dad. Just even that sort of dialogue uh, and, and him comprehending who he was and what was happening to him it was kind of like he just went on with it and he wasn't there was no real emotion to it it was just he kind of knew what to do even though even though five seconds previously he didn't believe fairies were real all of a sudden he knew everything about them and what to do and yes he had been set up by his father for that but even his father's role i think in the books they're actually supposed to be quite dodgy characters yeah absolutely in the movie they've made it out like they're heroic and he's just collecting all these artifacts to protect them and you think really is he really it was just when you meddle with good source material Mm. and and you try and change it for whatever reason this is a clear example of how not to do that and then when you change the source material to its complete opposite end of the spectrum 
that the end result is something that is soulless. You can see that they've tried to make sense of it, of the narrative by using a narrator, using Josh Gad's giant dwarf character as a narrator to set up a lot of exposition, as we already said. Mm, mm. That was not an effective device, though, I think. It would have even been more effective if we'd never met who was doing the narration, like if it was a, a faceless voice just doing the narration, or another character, perhaps the butler. Maybe the butler would have been a better position to be the narrator. Why did they yeah. choose Josh Gad's giant dwarf character who didn't come into the movie until later on? Yeah, it was all very confusing. I spent the whole movie thinking that we had skipped because they were talking or actioning things that I didn't even know how they found themselves in that position or to make mm. that decision to do X, Y, and Z. Like that's how much of a mess it was. And this is what I'm going to say about the narration. I think they had a film that made no fucking sense. <laughs> and then the narration was added in mm. to try, to try in some small way, offer some sort of coherent linear understanding of what the hell was going mm. on because he kept dipping in and out and it felt so tacked on it felt so jarring every time he was to speak mm. this hammy piece to camera crap that it was like they definitely added that on later that was not in the script originally and who was he talking to yeah i don't know fucking know who he was talking to <laughs> It was like, was, is he talking to us? Is he in a, he was like captured, right? Yeah. Is this a greater villain that's going to get introduced later on or? Yeah. I mean, oh my God, Lee. <laughs> I think you could be right though, that it's definitely a tacked on thing to try and make it make more sense, but it just didn't, unfortunately. And it was a poor choice of character. Yeah. Also, he was terrifying. Like when his mouth opened big and was like eating through and put and shitting out the dirt. I'm like, what? <laughs> What's going on here? I don't know. It was just so bizarre mm. that that was something that that character did and how he did it, eating dirt and shitting it out the other end. I'm like, <laughs> whoa. So before we do the popcorn kernel rating, putting mm. a frame on it as it it's intended to be a kid's movie. So let's put yep. that lens on it for a second. Okay. Through that lens, would you still say it's as bad as what you think it was? Yes, I would, because kids' movies, is, it's not an excuse or a hall pass to make something that is incoherent. And I think kids' movies have an important job to offer potentially complex scenarios or themes or things that you have to deal with as a young person and make them accessible mm. to that audience. And this film did not achieve that. So how many popcorn kernels would you give Artemis oh. Fowl? Like, I want to give it zero just because I think it's so bad. <laughs> I don't know if that's appropriate. So I'll probably just give it half. Half? Just like 0.5 of a kernel. 0.5 just because I'm not a monster. I'm going to give it one and a half because it was, okay. it was regrettable, but it wasn't as rage inducing for me as it obviously has been for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I watched it a couple of weeks ago now and I'm still, you know, riding this rage train. This is me toning it down. <laughs> Let's move on to Greed, which is out on digital first on July 1st. This movie tells the story of self-made British billionaire Sir Richard McCready, who's played by Steve Coogan, whose image is tarnished after a damaging public inquiry. And to save his reputation, he decides to bounce back with a highly publicised and extravagant gladiator-themed party celebrating mm. his 60th birthday on the Greek island of Mykonos, complete with a real lion and a purpose-built gladiator arena. 
Look, I don't know about you, but I think we've had a real treat over the last couple of weeks. We obviously watched and reviewed Trip to Greece mm-hmm. with Rob Ryden and Steve Coogan. And was the same director, Michael Winterbottom. There were just so many wonderful comedic genius moments in this. I just re- I actually really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to agree with you there. There was a lot of really underrated British comedians or maybe, you know, maybe well-rated British comedians over there. But in Australia, you might not know their faces. People like David Mitchell and um, Isla Fisher is hilarious. Yeah, they were the two standouts in this, I think, other than Steve Coogan. I just thought they were brilliant, yeah. There's also Shirley Henderson, who's been in Bridget Jones's Diary and um, Harry Potter and a lot of other British big movies. She was an interesting choice. She played Rich's mother. She's actually slightly younger than Steve Coogan. So it was an interesting choice that she was made up to be his old Irish mother. It was also a parade of British A, B, C listers. Like everyone did a cameo in it. I think Colin Firth. Kira Knightley. Yeah, it definitely played into that opulence of how the other half live, if you will, mm. or how the 1% live. And I was going to say, and you had his daughter who was filming her reality series, breaking up with her boyfriend on the beach and doing, yeah. a, doing a second take of it because she wasn't crying enough. And You know, there was a lot going on, like you've just alluded to. I feel like the movie was trying to say and tell too much mm. and that ultimately at the end it kind of fell short in the impact that it was obviously set out to deliver. Mm. You know, the disparity between wealth and the poor. You know, they were talking about refugees. There was reality television. Mm. There was narcissistic billionaire and kind of his complete disconnect to humanity and how he like treated people Mm. and all the rest of it. Yeah. I I hear what you're saying. I think what it was is the tone was slightly confused in this movie. It was kind of split down the middle and they didn't sort of work together. It was like there was commentary on the capitalism and greed. And as you said, the disparity between poverty and wealth and then the piss take of British celebrity on one side And then it just kind of split down the middle and where they were supposed to come together and intersect, it didn't quite gel. Yeah, I think it definitely leaned more into the world of capitalism because the David Mitchell character who was playing his hired biographer, Mm. and I think he kind of drove the story. You know, you saw his, his wheeling and dealing and obviously the corruption, you would say, but also the platform to allow for that corruption Mm. to then fill his pockets rather than those that are working for him. Mm. At the core of it, it was trying to tell a message. And I think when a film's credits deliver that more effectively than the hour and Mm. 45 minute film that you watch, they really could have worked a bit harder to try and make us feel something there. Mm. What did you take out of this movie? If that was the message that was trying to be delivered, how did it make you feel at the end? Yeah, I mean, it made me feel, it made me sit up and, think about some things like it it definitely served a purpose in that way but selfishly what I got out of it was just a really fun comedy with some of the funniest lines I've heard in a long time what about you It made me a little, um, I don't know if depressed is the right word, but maybe deflated in that, you know, it has this message about capitalism and the pitfalls of, of that. But then when he falls towards the end, his son just comes up to take his place and the empire continues and the wheel keeps turning. So that greed and that capitalism machine just keeps going without him. And it it kind of made me go, oh, like almost Mm. like, I don't know if that's just looking at it through the lens of everything that's going on in the world right now. And that you're just like, oh, why bother? Yeah. It was almost where some of the characters were a little bit undercooked. You weren't exposed or you weren't convinced that they made the decisions to take that path. 
Mm. Like Asher Butterfield, who played his son, is just this super brilliant, awkward actor. Mm. But then at the end, he stood up and he really became like a narcissist, just like his father. Yeah, he became his father. Almost. So it's Absolutely. almost like that, you know, the Medusa tale. You cut off one head and two more will grow in its place. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what it was trying to say, mm. even though the mm. outcomes weren't, were unsurprising. So how many popcorn kernels would you give greed? Um, I'm going to give greed two and a half popcorn kernels. It was trying to play in too many areas of satire. And I think if it focused a little bit more on one or two rather than, you know, the four or five areas of the billionaire's life, then it probably could have been a a three for me, but that's why I'm just sitting on the fence there. I'm actually going to agree with you. I had two and a half as well. I had hoped it would be a little bit more funny. That dry British humor that was in there was great, but it it never got me past a sort of uh chuckle kind of, you know? Sure. Um, So I would have liked it to have been a bit more funny and for those two sides of the coin to intersect a bit better, to work together and make that message a bit clearer. That was Greed, which is available on digital from July 1st and on DVD from July 15th. All right, Lee, let's sink our teeth into some pretty juicy movie news this week. Lots to cover off, a few disappointments, but also I think we're going to come out of this a bit giddy with excitement at the end. So what have we got first up? The Golden Globes, they will now take place on Feb 28. No date had previously been announced prior, but it was likely going to take place in like the early Jan, like around Jan 10th. Mm. So this is obviously off the back of the Academy Awards being pushed back to, to April. And I think moving it is a good choice because then everyone can get a bit more excited about about cinema again. Sadly, we also lost Joel Schumacher this week. He passed away at age 80 after a one-year battle with cancer. Now, he's a titan. He's one of the great directors of the past however many decades. Mm. He's best known for St. Elmo's Fire, one of my favourite movies, The Lost Boys, The Client, Phone Booth, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. Like, we could go on and on. He was a director known for spotting new talent. You know, Colin Farrell was one of the people that he kind of pulled into a lot of his movies and and obviously Mm. everyone knows him as a really great actor of his generation. Speaking of Batman, Michael Keaton is in talks to reprise the role of Batman for the Flash movie, this awful Flash movie that's coming. I'm really excited about this but also disappointed that it's happening in the Flash movie. And he's also apparently going to appear in the proposed Batgirl movie. When you shared this piece of news with me this week, I felt really deflated like you. It's kind of this Flash movie, which has been in development hell forever, obviously a byproduct of Batman vs Superman and Justice League. Mm. And, you know, we could could unpack that and go on and on. How amazing would that be? Amazing. If we didn't know Mm. that Michael Keaton was being considered or that this was going to happen the impact that that would have had in the cinema and then Michael Keaton often considered probably the best Batman. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, that's the sort of stuff that, hey, I'm okay. I don't need to know that this is happening. I want to be absolutely floored by Mm. a surprise cameo in this way. Are you upset that we know this already? I agree, but I think that's a byproduct at the moment of the hype machine around movies. People, they're just giving everything away up front to try and get people into the movies and it just gives everyone fatigue, I think. Yeah. What are you leaving us to enjoy or be surprised and delighted at Mm. when the lights go down, if we already know exactly what's going to happen? There's talk that he'll also act as a mentor or like a Nick Fury-like character. Um, I guess they're trying to take these elements from Marvel and make it work for their own 
disaster. <laughs> They've needed to look at the Marvel model much sooner than this. So I think that that's a good move. So yeah, good luck to them. There was talk earlier on about this uh, magic school bus movie being made, something that will resonate with children or adults of a certain age from their childhood. You've got some news on this. Yeah. So Elizabeth Banks is tipped to play Miss Frizzle in the live action magic school bus movie. And as you said, it's based on the Scholastic book series by author Joanna Cole, right? And it follows the intrepid Miss Frizzle and her class who set out on field trips in their big yellow school bus that magically transforms into like a plane or a submarine or a spaceship, a surfboard. The list goes on depending on what science concept that's being explored in class. I remember growing up watching Mm -hmm. this cartoon series on television and I think that the casting of Elizabeth Banks is really on point. Yep, and I think this could be a really exciting movie. They could do really well with this if they pull it off. It screams franchise and I think with Elizabeth Banks you know you've got someone driving the bus who who can really deliver something special. Now, apparently there's a Twister reboot in the works at Universal with Joseph Kaczynski, who did Tron Legacy um, and Top Gun Maverick. I had to direct it. This Mm. news bothers me so much. Like, this is what gets me into a rage, okay? Because Twister was a bloody great movie. The sound design of that movie was groundbreaking at the time. And just, like, the acting and the story, it was so well done. And I don't understand this obsession that Hollywood has with remaking movies for a new generation. It's a lazy way of making money and putting movies out there that this movie deserves to stand alone in time as a great product. Yeah, untarnished. Untarnished, exactly right. And it bothers me that it's being remade. Yeah, I am with you 100%. This does annoy me that they're going, oh, let's uh, remake Twister. Yeah. Let's go Let's go down that road. I just wonder if it's going to be a complete reboot. Will we have Helen Hunt and Bill Paxson reprise their roles in some hammy way? But I don't know if I would even be excited about that. I think that there's nothing wrong with leaving a film where it was and for mm. it to have its place in the mid-90s or whenever. Mm. And then that's it. You don't need to keep churning these out. It was yep. really good filmmaking, mar- marrying, you know, special effects with traditional filmmaking methods. And, yeah, you can yeah. go and CGI the whole bloody thing if you like, but it's lazy and it's boring. Yeah. One of the most classic moments in that film, let alone the 90s, was when the cow flies <laughs> by. And I'm like, will they redo? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, are they going to just remake and and kind of rehash these classic moments, unexpected moments of comedy or just really great kind of gags. Are they going to ruin the cow flying moment? And there's so many great lines in there, you know, you've never seen it, miss this house and miss that house and come after you. (laughs) Can you tell I love this movie? (laughs) Oh my God, Lee, this is brilliant. Yeah, I'm really frustrated by this. So let's move on to the next piece of news. Another frustrating piece of news though, that Tenet is delayed again and it's looking like August 12 at this stage. And Mulan has also been pushed back. And I don't think this is the last movies that we're going to see shift around because America is still struggling to open their cinema network. Yeah, absolutely. We're kind of waving down under going, hey, we're ready. Yeah. Like, we're getting ready. We're doing the right thing down here. Like, bring Tenet for us. We deserve it. Like, <laughs> exactly. why Give do we us have these to wait movies. for it? <laughs> Like, come on. Speaking of remakes and reboots and whatever you want to call it, There's a new Pirates of the Caribbean movie in the works starring Margot Robbie. Yes, and she's bringing in the Birds of Prey and Bumblebee screenwriter Christina Hodson 
to uh, be a part of this ship. My understanding is that it's separate from the franchise reboot that was announced last year Mm -hmm. with writers Ted Elliott and Craig Mazin still developing that. So this is more of a project that will be based on the Pirates of the Caribbean name and theming and things like that. But it's not in, really intended as a spin-off. It's kind of within the world. It's a whole new original story and whatnot. See, I think that works for films like this, for IPs like Pirates of the Caribbean or some kind of franchise that you can take the branding of it and make it into mm. something completely different without ruining what's already been done or, or affecting what's already been done. Mm. But something like Twister, it's just like it's not that kind of – a franchise like you can't no yeah it's not a universe i think that what makes me nervous about this parts of the caribbean which i think it makes sense i'm with you on that but we experienced that with men in bike international last year where they kind of took an ip they based it loosely within the the familiar world of the men in black but it was so poorly done and that just makes me nervous that We've seen Hollywood do that very recently. Are people going to be like, where's Captain Jack Sparrow? <laughs> you know, and it's going to feel less of what we kind of want it to be. And I mean, that's the risk that they take. Or even worse, if they have a ripoff Captain Jack Sparrow, someone that's that kind of character, but completely different. And you just think, oh, what made that character yeah. good is that Johnny Depp really went out on a limb with that character and he pulled exactly. it off. Exactly. You know, Margot Robbie is, is doing great things out there. So mm. that gives me... A bit of confidence, at least, yep. at this early stage. Oh, I don't know about you, but I'm taking a big, deep breath right now. There was a lot to talk about. <laughs> what an episode. We covered off Artemis Fowl, which you can watch on Disney Plus right now, and the Steve Coogan film Greed, which is available digitally on July 1st. And that's the last episode for season three of Popcorn Podcast. We're going to take a little break, but we'll be back with season four, back in cinemas. Oh, are just brilliant. We're going to launch big and we're going to yeah, come from the seats of event cinemas <laughs> in, in Sydney. So it's going to be fantastic. Cannot wait. We can't wait to get back there. Thanks for listening, everyone. Catch you next time, guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.